already know the ending to this story. We're going to change it. Yeah, baby! Please open your eyes. Take this. Remember who you answered to. What is your name? This is where it kind of goes off the deep end. Welcome to Movie Land with CJ Johnson on ABC Local Radio, digital and online. Hello and welcome to Movie Land. I'm CJ Johnson. Thank you for joining me. There are a lot of interesting new films in the cinemas in Australia and around the world. And of course, it is the height of award season and the Oscars are breathing down our collective film going next. So I've got some reviews for you, four reviews of films that are either currently playing in Australia or about to open. And of course, their status around the world will change depending on where you are. But most of these films are currently playing at a cinema near you, wherever you happen to be. And also, time permitting, we'll take a bit of a look at the Oscar nominations. And now that most of the major awards before the Oscars have been awarded, we'll give them a bit of a handicap and suggest what will win and what should win at the Oscars. But first, one of those films that is up for heavy contention is Manchester by the Sea. Kenneth Lonergan's third Oscar-nominated feature film as writer-director. You may have heard that it is sad. What you may have not heard is that for the vast majority of its running time, it is very, very funny. Lonergan, an established playwright as well as filmmaker, can write, and he can write killer dialogue. Manchester by the Sea has an intricate, complicated, extremely well-crafted structure, a thematically rich story covered with depth and sensitivity, but it also boasts absolutely wonderful back-and-forth banter that is always witty and sometimes hilarious. It is a far funnier movie than many of the comedies released over the last few years. That banter mainly, though not exclusively, occurs between Lee Chandler, Casey Affleck, and his teenage nephew Patrick, Lucas Hedges. Patrick's dad, played by Kyle Chandler, the name is weirdly coincidental and is not meant to imply anything more, Lee's older brother, has died from his chronic heart condition and he, Patrick, and Lee are coming to terms with their grief and each other as Lee has been named Patrick's guardian in his brother's will. They get along, terrifically in fact, but Lee has other grief in his not-too-distant past, the kind shredded and studded with suffocating guilt, and he is spiky and disoriented, removed slightly from the real world, ajar and adrift. Instant fatherhood was not on his agenda, but somehow he has to make it work, not only because he loves his nephew, but also because his brother, by all accounts an extremely decent man, was very much his best friend. I had the strange impression that Manchester by the Sea may be composed of endless scenes of a dreary mope, but that is so not the case. Besides the many firecracker scenes between Affleck and Hedges, both are superb, and similarly excellent scenes involving Affleck and Michelle Williams as his wife, C.J. Wilson as his brother's best friend, and many other inhabitants of the titular Massachusetts town, all played by excellent actors, there are scenes that simply follow Patrick's storyline, leaving Lee off-screen doing his own thing. 
It is a wider, broader, bigger film than its marketing may suggest, crackling with energy, pace and dramatic heft. It is also stunningly beautiful. The seaside locations are exquisitely shot by Jody Lee Leaps. Massachusetts is rendered simultaneously realistically, cold, old, ornery, and somewhat idealistically, the bounteous water and highwayside forests sparkling with crisp winter light. The music, a combination of original compositions by Leslie Barber and well-used classical pieces, is bold and rich, edging the visuals into poetic mini-montages that consistently punctuate the very human drama. The production design, while never drawing attention to itself, is flawless. I know Massachusetts very well, and this is Massachusetts. Manchester by the Sea is a great film. It is thoroughly involving deeply moving and sparkles with humanity. Highly recommended and my favourite of the big Oscar contenders for 2016. You're listening to CJ Johnson with Movie Land reviewing some current and upcoming films. Now, a film that I think when it was conceived and certainly when its Oscar-winning leading man chose it to be his next vehicle was probably considered an Oscar contender, but for some reason is decidedly not, is gold. What do you call that genre that encompasses American Hustle, The Wolf of Wall Street and Blow? I suppose you could go with Rags to Riches or even more accurately and more often Rags to Riches to Rags. But there's a certain style and tone to these movies that links them besides their celebration slash evisceration of the American dream. And that tone is cribbed from Scorsese, making Wolf of Wall Street the natural leader of the pack, even if American hustle may be more disciplined. The other feature, I think, that audiences respond to is period. These widescreen, semi-epic adventures tend to be set in the 70s, 80s and early 90s, sometimes all three. The production design, especially hair and makeup, is part of the fun. Matthew McConaughey's makeup and hairstylists went all out for gold. Stephen Gagan's Change the Names for Legal Reasons adaptation of the true story of the Brie X Gold scandal, one of Canada's great business stories. Gagan resets the tale to Reno, but many of the true story's outlandish details are there on screen and they make for some excellent twists and turns. McConaughey, 50 or so pounds overweight with a receding hairline and generally looking awful, delivers yet another earnest, endlessly entertaining, energetic and engaging performance, albeit one with too much mumbling. I think I lost a third of his lines. The storytelling is flabby too, but the many supporting actors are excellent, the design fine, and the source material absolutely deserving the movie. This could have been a great film. It's a good enough one. That is gold, and that is currently in cinemas worldwide, but make sure you catch it quickly because it is not doing well, and I reckon a lot of cinemas are going to pull it this coming week. A film that is being widely trumpeted for its Australian release. Seriously, seriously. They're marketing this film very, very heavily because it did so well in its native Italy where it won all sorts of, you know, they always use this phrase, the French Oscars, the British Oscars, the Italian Oscars. It's so kind of demeaning. It makes these other film academies for these countries sound like they're just 
offshoots of the Oscars, but whatever the Italian Oscars are, this one won Best Film. <laughs> Perfetti Sconoscuti, Perfect Strangers. Perfect Strangers from Paolo Genovese is one of those European romps that all take place in a single contemporary location, mainly around a table, and involve a lot of dialogue being spoken by locally popular actors that is sort of witty, somewhat sexy, and potentially ponderous. The French and Italians both make this kind of film, and if successful, it's a great business model. If not, it's stagey and cheap. Perfect Strangers, set in Rome among the genres typically upper-middle-class, forward-thinking, modern bourgeoisie, sits just on the right side of that equation. It pulls off its decidedly tricky and potentially gimmicky premise through a better-than-average script, fluid direction that keeps a single set visually interesting, and most importantly, an excellent ensemble who all play the rather ridiculous situation straight. That situation is this. At a dinner party for seven old friends, one of them suggests, as a sort of truth game, that they all surrender their mobile phones to the centre of the table for the night and that all of their text messages and emails are revealed and their phone conversations had on speakerphone in front of the others. Naturally, and this is hardly a spoiler, secrets are revealed and they all realise they didn't know each other as well as they thought they did. This is a ludicrous concept, of course, but what high concept isn't? It skates by on very professional performances and a smattering of revelations that manage to subvert our expectations by about 10%. It worked massively on the large, quite mature audience I saw it with, who gasped, giggled, ooed and aahed at each new twist. It's an amiable 96 minutes that won't change your life as much as it would love you to hurl your mobile device into traffic upon leaving the cinema. That is Perfect Strangers, Perfetti Sconoscuti, and that is currently playing in palace cinemas around Australia, and if you're somewhere else in the world, check your local listings. You're listening to CJ Johnson with Movieland. You're listening to CJ Johnson with Movie Land, and now to review Tony Erdman, which is released this coming Thursday, the 9th of February in Australia. Check your local listings internationally. And it is nominated for one of the best five foreign language feature films at the upcoming Academy Awards. German filmmaker Marin Ade takes her time with her dramatic comedy, Tony Erdman. It's an enormously rewarding work, but at two hours and 42 minutes, it demands you surrender to its rhythm. Innes, the incredible Sandra Hula, who in a more just world would be waking up to an Oscar nomination, is an overworked, overstressed young executive for a German international consulting firm currently posted in Bucharest. When her eccentric father, Winifred's dog, dies, he pays her a surprise visit and, worried about her, goes to odd lengths to cheer her up, including assuming an alternative persona. The film is a superb and deeply led examination of the special relationship between fathers and daughters, to which I, on that level, could relate and surrender myself. 
However, it's much more than that. In its extended scenes of the delicate dance of somewhat dubious business in Eastern Europe, it examines the ongoing misogyny inherent in corporate life, the use of corporate fall guys in the guise of consultancy firms that let megacorporations walk away from abuses with a clean press record, and the blatant exploitation of euro-struggling nations by wealthy ones. There's a perfect moment when Innes, having just made an important presentation in an upscale hotel's business centre, stares out the window at a household across the road that probably doesn't have electricity. Peter Somoniszczyk, a prolific and revered TV star who normally presents as a handsome silverback, lets it all hang out as Winifred, a true eccentric whose empathetic wisdom is buried under layers of diffidence. He and Hula play off each other superbly, often in extended moments of awkward silence. The entire film is full of awkward moments, awkward scenes, awkward lives. It won't be for everyone, and please do not go expecting a million yucks, but by its end, it is thoroughly engaging, moving and meaningful. A major film with a lot on its mind. Highly recommended. That's Tony Erdman. listening to CJ Johnson with Movie Land. So, Tony Erdman as I said was has been nominated for the best foreign language feature film at the upcoming Academy Awards. Likewise, Manchester by the Sea has been nominated for best feature film at those Academy Awards. They're being held on Sunday, February 26th, 2017. Pardon me, 2017, that's US time, unless, of course, President Trump decides that they aren't allowed to go ahead. Let's take a look at those Oscars. We'll take a look at the nominees and say who should win and what will win. So for Best Feature Film, as I say, we have got nine nominees this year. We have got Manchester by the Sea. We've got Arrival. Fences, which I have not yet seen, Hacksaw Ridge, Hell or High Water, Hidden Figures, which I have not yet seen, La La Land, Lion, and Moonlight. Now, this is a good batch, and Common Wisdom has suggested that if you've really got to draw five out of those nine, the real front runners are La La Land, Manchester by the Sea, Moonlight, probably Lion, and perhaps... Arrival. Arrival's got a strong showing at this year's Oscars. The Amy Adams starring the Denis Villeneuve-directed science fiction film about when the aliens arrive. Look, it's going to be La La Land. La La Land has got 14 nominations, which is absolutely incredible. It ties the award for most nominations, shared by Titanic and All About Eve. And it's probably going to do a very big sweep, and it will win Best Picture. And will win Best Director as well for its director, Damien Chazelle. Now, why am I so sure about this? Why shouldn't it be Moonlight or Manchester by the Sea, for example? Well, 
Here is a piece of anecdotal evidence I have that I think will prove my case. I don't know whether you've seen these films yet, but at the beginning of La La Land, the uh, it says shot in cinemascope uh, across the widescreen. Like before the film is began, it says, you know, presents a film shot in cinemascope. Now, I have friends in Los Angeles, and I have a friend who was at an Academy screening, that is a specific screening of the film for Academy members so that they can go see these films for free and uh, decide on what they want to vote for. And my friend told me that when it said shot in Cinemascope, this is before the film has even, you know, started showing anything to do with the actual film, just this opening thing that said shot in Cinemascope, the audience at this Academy screening applauded. They applauded for the aspect ratio. And that to me said everything I needed to know. La La Land will win best film and it'll win best direction as well. The other nominees for directing are Dennis Villeneuve for Arrival, Mel Gibson for Hacksaw Ridge, Damien Chazelle of course for La La Land, Kenneth Lonergan for Manchester by the Sea and Barry Jenkins for Moonlight. Moonlight is kind of the film that unfortunately will get sort of shut out if La La Land goes along and as I predict sweeps the awards uh, which is Bit of a shame because Moonlight represents such a different Hollywood story. It is the story of a young black man growing up gay in Miami. Everything about it is original and unique and shows an original voice. Whereas, of course, La La Land, by now, you will have heard, if not seen, is not original at all. It is a deliberate recreation or deliberate attempt to evoke specifically Hollywood musicals of the 50s era. And so um, they couldn't be more different, really, Moonlight and La La Land. Interestingly, La La Land, which is also, you know, a small independent film in the grand scale of things, has come to be perceived as the big sort of Hollywood film versus the smaller films. But really, they're all kind of small films that have happened to do really well. La La Land is doing incredibly well. I think it's already made over $200 million or something, which is just astonishing considering as a movie musical, an original movie musical, not based on an existing stage musical. I mean, it could have just flopped terribly. Let's have a look at some of the other big categories that you might have an interest in. In actor in a leading role, Casey Affleck is nominated for Manchester by the Sea. Andrew Garfield for Hacksaw Ridge, which was shot right here in Australia, I believe in New South Wales. Ryan Gosling for La La Land. Viggo Mortensen for Captain Fantastic. And Denzel Washington for Fences, a performance I have not yet seen. I am so pleased that Viggo Mortensen is in there for Captain Fantastic. It was my favourite film of release year 2016 and his performance I just thought was brilliant. He deserves to win. Unfortunately, I don't think he is going to win, but I have no problems with Casey Affleck winning for Manchester by the Sea. I thought he gave a great performance. Either of those should win, but you know who could win? Denzel Washington could win because he won the Screen Actors Guild just the other day. And that is a great harbinger of who's going to get the Oscars. I'm going to explain why. Because the Screen Actors Guild uh, Awards are obviously voted by members of the Screen Actors Guild, basically who are the working actors of Hollywood. Now, the Academy is made up of about 6,000 voting members. 
and you've got to be a member in a particular category. So you've got to be, for example, a member in the directing category or a member in the makeup category or a member in the producers category or a member in the acting category. And the acting category is by far the biggest number of members of those 6,000 members. It's got the biggest voting block. So therefore, if the Screen Actors Guild voted for Denzel Washington, one must assume that the majority of the actors in the Academy will vote for Denzel Washington. And as they are the largest voting block, that actually shows very good signs for Denzel Washington. See how that works? It's very, very clear, actually. For example, I believe of those 6,000, about I believe about 13 or 1400 of them are actors, whereas uh, only about 400 are directors. So there you go. Uh, actress in a leading role, Isabelle Huppert, who won the Golden Globe for uh, a dramatic film for Elle, is nominated. Natalie Portman is nominated for Jackie. Ruth Negger for Loving, a film I have not yet seen. Emma Stone, of course, for La La Land and Meryl Streep for Florence Foster Jenkins. I'm not sure Meryl Streep would have snuck in here were it not for her brilliant speech at the Golden Globes, which made everyone just re-fall in love with what a fabulous, wonderful person she is. I mean, she really kind of doing Florence Foster Jenkins was kind of, you know, a bit of a party trick for her in a way. Emma Stone's going to win this. It's very obvious and she very much deserves to win it. It would be lovely to see someone like Isabella Peur win, but this is definitely Emma Stone's year. She's in every scene, practically every shot of La La Land. Unlike Ryan Gosling, she is very much the star of that film. She sings, she dances, she does tremendous acting work and she deserves the award animated feature film is quite interesting this year but i don't go see animated feature films particularly i probably will over the next few years as my daughter grows up oh interestingly i took her to her first feature film recently at the cinema that is i took her to see sing she enjoyed it she stayed the whole time she was one week shy of being three years old made it through the whole film i thought that was pretty good anyway zootopia the red Tur turtle my life as a zucchini <laughs> moana and kubo and the two strings i understand the big money is on zootopia which i gather has a very interesting uh theme of racial harmony and racial justice and racial tolerance that puts it head and shoulders above the other films. I understand. What else should we quickly look at? I guess we need to look at foreign language film. As I say, Tony Erdman is nominated. Uh, Tanner is nominated from Australia. This is fascinating because this is shot in um, some Islander language, I understand, uh, an Australian film, but not made in English. And that's why it's nominated for Best Foreign Language Film. I really do not think it has a chance. The Salesman from Iran, whose director won't be attending the Academy Awards because of Trump's ban. He is Iranian and he is not allowed to enter the United States. A Man Called Uva from Sweden and Land of Mine from Denmark. Uh, the big money's on either A Man Called Uva or Tony Erdman. Music, original song, we've got a couple from La La Land. Audition, The Fools Who Dream, which is one of the ones sung by Emma Stone, and City of Stars, which is one of the ones that's mainly sung by Ryan Gosling. One of those will probably win, although if they cancel each other out, as could happen, you know, by splitting their own vote, You've got um, a film from, Half, uh, from Moana by Lynn 
Manuel Miranda called How Far I'll Go. And uh, Lynn Manuel Miranda is the creator of Hamilton, the huge musical which swept all the Tonys and is considered one of the greatest musicals ever written and is wowing them on Broadway at the moment. So if it does not go to one of the songs from La La Land, I would say it would have to go to Lynn manuel Miranda's song from Moana. But let's just look at one... Well, let's look at the writing ones, of course. Writing original screenplay. This is an interesting one. This is where Hello High Water gets in, along with its Best Picture nomination. Uh, La La Land, The Lobster, Manchester by the Sea, and 20th Century Women. I really believe in this category that Manchester by the Sea deserves to win. It is an impeccable script. Who knows? La La Land could continue its sweep. So I'll say should win Manchester by the Sea, probably will win La La Land. For adapted screenplay, very interesting. Arrival, Fences, Hidden Figures, Lion and Moonlight. Now, the reason Moonlight is nominated for adapted screenplay is that it's based on a play that I understand was never produced as a play but it has still been ruled that it is an adaptation because there was source material that the screenplay was fashioned out of. So there you go. Adapted screenplay. Lion by Australia's Luke Davies, adapted from the book A Long Way Home. That would be really interesting for Mr. Davies, who's been really, really hacking it out there in Hollywood for ages, having made, uh, having written the screenplay for the adaptation of his own wonderful novel, Candy, gosh, probably over a decade ago now, really struggling to make it in Hollywood, and now he's got an Oscar nomination. So uh, fantastic for him. Uh, I think it, it has a chance. But um, you've also got Fences based on the August Wilson play, which is pretty much the play filmed entirety, I understand. Arrival could sneak in there, but Lion's got a shot. Lion really does have a shot. Very difficult book to translate to film, including, you know, making Google searches cinematically interesting, all of that stuff. It could be where they give it to Moonlight, though, if Moonlight gets shut out of the rest of the awards for uh, by La La Land. Pardon me. So I'm not sure. It's a very tricky one. Probably will win Moonlight. And maybe should win, maybe Lion. There you go. You're going to have to figure it out for yourself. The Oscars screening from noon on Monday, if you're going to watch them live, Monday, February 27th in Australia, in the United States, as long as Donald Trump doesn't rule them. I don't know, <laughs> Doesn't just cancels them on a whim with a stroke of his pen. Um, they'll be at 5 p.m. Los Angeles time on Sunday, February 26th. You've been listening to CJ Johnson with Movie Land. Thanks very much for listening. Take care and make sure you see a movie at the cinema this weekend.